Welcome to Current Situation, your weekly political pulse. I'm your host, Joshua Gale, alongside South Carolina State House Representative Jordan Pace. Every week, our goal is to help you navigate the complex world of politics through biblically conservative perspectives. Before we jump into today's conversation, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Right now, God is looking for the heroes of this generation. Heroes that refuse to conform to this world and that understand that bowing at any other altar than the altar of Jesus Christ is living a lesser life. A generation full of light, standing in the face of darkness, unafraid and ready for work. What God is looking for today are troublemakers. In 1 Kings 18:17, God found a man. His name was Elijah, and he became a troublemaker to the enemy. We believe that there is an army of young adults rising up that are coming together and are determined to be troublemakers to Satan and his plans. You see, the troublemakers, we have a code. We will live in awe, completely amazed at God and his goodness. We are determined to pursue making God our passion. We will walk it out, living a lifestyle of holiness. We are the counter movement, never bowing to a culture which contradicts the kingdom of God. We have determined that we will develop and act like the real sons and daughters of God. I'm Denise Malagoy. And I'm Tim Rice. Come and join the movement. Today we're discussing state policy on healthcare services and what the Bible says about who is responsible for their family's health. Jordan, how are you? I am doing all right. How are you, Josh? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Congrats on the new edition. You got I appreciate a new, it. New little one just arrived. Yes. Yes, she just arrived. She's perfect. She's wonderful. We are overjoyed. A little tired, um, but it is it is <clears throat> has been has been so wonderful. Um, the kids are thrilled and we've enjoyed this <clears throat> past week with her. Good. So today we're talking about healthcare, um, and s- this conversation that we're going to dig into tonight kind of started over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And would you give us c- some of the background on these bills that you guys are talking about this week and how it all originated? Yeah. So for the last several decades, there's been discussions about, uh, splitting up, uh, what the, a government agency here in South Carolina uh, called DHEC, the Department of Health and Environmental Control. Uh, DHEC was in charge of both health care services uh, and environmental services. So um, everything from approving hospitals to approving septic tanks in the same agency. And it didn't make any sense. Uh, so the idea was to split them up into one's healthcare uh, related and then one is environmental and they do what do those things separately rather than together inefficiently uh, that kind of the idea there's to decentralize what had been centralized right uh, and so as a result of that uh, the the provisions of the new uh, health side of things needed probably needed a little fleshing out uh, in reality, for the last several decades, the powers and regulations of what, ha- what used to be known as DHEC, what's now the health side of DHEC, it's been split off, have grown tremendously. And we really saw that in effect 
over the last three or four years through the pandemic about all the powers that DHAC could wield. Uh, so uh, we we have, I actually have a copy of H4927, the House bill is about 75 pages long. The Senate version is more than three and a half times the size of this. It's like 240 pages long. Massive bills uh, that, especially the Senate one, adds a whole bunch of new powers and does a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, the House one essentially creates a uh, an overarching bureaucracy mm-hmm. uh, over several different agencies. Okay. Uh, and if you want to read along or you want some um, some bathroom reading material, this is S915. Senate S915 bill. is the one that's 240 pages long. They, the okay. Senate passed that last week. Uh, the House is set to take up the much shorter version. I say shorter okay. as in relative terms. Most of our bills that we read are two or three pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons for that is in our state constitution, there's a rule called the one subject rule. Uh, I think it's in Article 3. But in, anyway, the, the main idea there is uh, a bill needs to have one subject. You know, we hear a lot on the news about Washington, D.C. passing things called omnibus bills where it, uh, they're like 3,000 pages long and they do 3,000 different things and they just shove all this stuff into one with the idea of you get one thing and you get one thing. And right. even if you don't like all these things, you know. So the pro- one of the reasons we have this one subject rule is to keep bills relatively short and understandable for people to be able to understand them. So uh, the House bill, at least, uh, the main thing that it does is creates this new office of health and policy with a director that's appointed by the governor. And this director uh, would essentially have all of the, the powers that DHEC used to have when it was DHEC in one person rather than a board that used to run DHEC. The board was uh, made like there was one person from every congressional district plus one chairman that the governor appointed. So again, that was a kind of a distributed model and that right. was just DHEC. Not only would this person have all the powers that DHEC had, they would also be over the department of alcohol and other drug abuse services, which is its own agency, the uh, department of disabilities and special needs, uh, the department of public health, the, pump, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Department of Mental Health, and the Department of Aging. Under All one of person. Would, under one person. Right. Wow. So some folks have called this the, uh, a healthcare czar, uh, kind of borrowing from the, the federal terms. That's not too far off. Uh, so if folks want to remember back to a few years ago, when the, you know, the pandemic broke out, uh, the governor issued a bunch of executive orders that was kind of happened happening all over the country. But here in South Carolina, uh, if you go look at the statutes, DHEC has the power to essentially put you under house arrest. Uh, like if they say that you have a contagious disease, they can quarantine you indefinitely, wow. uh, functionally without recourse until they say you're clear. Um, and in the past, that was between that the uh, 
determining whether something was a healthcare emergency. All, all of these, these type powers were under a board that was appointed by in, in conjunction between the governor and the legislature on the delegation levels, like your local legislators. Now, if this bill, if either of these bills passed and were signed into law, all of that would be under one individual. Okay. So should these, in your opinion, should these agencies be consolidated? And will these bills actually consolidate them? Well, that's the thing. That what we kept being told for the last couple of weeks is, uh, you know, this would consolidate these agencies. But during the committee meeting where this bill was discussed, the, the House Judiciary Committee, one of the committee members asked the subcommittee chairman who was presenting the bill how many state uh, employees will lose their jobs. So inevitably, inevitably, if you consolidate agencies, then the whole point of that to streamline it is to not have as big of an agency, like like to shrink it, to consolidate it by definition. Right. So inevitably, you would have employees that were redundant. You need to not have them do those things. If that's what you're doing. So her question was, how many, how many jobs are we looking to cut? And he said, none, no one's going to lose their job. So not only are the agency heads of all these agencies still going to have a job, but no longer be subject to being fired by the governor or the legislature only to this new healthcare czar. Uh, all of the, all of the people running these agencies who they're saying, Hey, we need to consolidate them. Now, keep in mind, just a year ago, the claim was we need to split DHEC because it's too big and too consolidated. We need, that's how we're going to save money and be more effective by splitting it up and decentralizing it, which I agree with. That is how you do it. Absolutely. Now they're saying we need to take all these agencies and consol- and not really consolidate them, just build something on top of them. So basically more bureaucracy to control the bureaucracy that's already in place, hmm. which to me is is... is not the conservative way to govern. No, absolutely. It's not, it's a way to manage, but not lead and not lead Mm -hmm. effectively. Um, And we see that. So it's really, you know, with the question that was raised, would, would there be any jobs eliminated when you look to consolidate? Um, Because what, you know, we don't, we look for ways to eliminate um, unless you're the government and you can look past it. Um, So what are the dangers in handling and handing powers like this over to a single person who only answers to the government. So, yeah, as the bill is written, only the governor could hire and or fire this new health new office of health care. So uh, not an elected official. Policy. Not an elected official. Uh, the, the only accountability there would be to the governor. Now, we can elect the governor every four years. Uh but it's not it's not something that's directly elected or can be directly held accountable. Uh, the The danger there is like if you have a governor, like for instance, we've seen in Washington State on the on the left coast. So Washington State has a system very very similar to this, where they have a health czar who's over all these agencies. The governor appoints. Right now, like this today, February twenty seventh. Uh, of 2024, there are still mask mandates in place in Washington state in certain scenarios, in certain circumstances, because of the, their health curves are. He put wow. them in place, and that's that's that. Uh, that That's the danger of of having one person be able to say, hey, I, you know, we think you may have a contagious disease, you got to stay in your house until we say you can't. 
uh, or we're going to put you in a quarantine center until we say you, you're, you're clean. Uh, previous to that, there was, it was, it was a, the, the authority there was split up amongst a council rather than one person. Now, look, I, I don't think the government should, should really even have that authority period. Right. But if they're going to have it, it needs to be a multitude of, of wisdom, right? right. Uh, a multitude of voices, right. Checks and balances from around the state who are, those people who have accountability to both the legislature and the governor, not just one individual who only answers to one person. Right. And I'd love to see the the resume or the CV for somebody who would be able to speak well into this many different types of agencies mm-hmm. um, with enough credibility. You know, I've worked yeah. in healthcare, I've worked in technology, I've worked in all sorts of different verticals, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't qualify me to stand there and to direct each one of these, and especially if they were consolidated. Um, so that that in itself, you know, seems like a position that's just destined to fail, um, and somebody else to to point blame at, to shift blame to, um, right. so that we can say, oh well, it wasn't me, you know, it was so and so. So it it just if it it smells all the way around. Yeah, the. If the goal is um, to be more effective in what, like if the goal is to make these agencies more effective in what they're supposed to do, then let's make those agencies more effective in what they do uh, by by going in and, and auditing them and seeing what needs to be done within those agencies. Or if those agencies need to be eliminated or half eliminated and moved and merged with, and consolidated with another agency, uh, you know, one at a time, not shove all of them together. Like you said, who has that kind of oversight experience and ability to oversee alcohol and drug abuse, special needs, aging, and, and the general health policy across the state? You know, right now, every county has a health board that your local elected officials put on there and they kind of help make decisions uh, on a county level about health emergencies or uh, just general general things within your county. If this passes, this health czar would have oversight and would control the funding for those local level health boards. Uh, it, it's just a further centralization of of all of this stuff. Right. And it's a, it's a train wreck. It, it already is, and it's, it's one waiting to happen. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about just overall health. And, you know, mm-hmm. you you want to trust your healthcare providers and you want to trust those who are looking out for your well-being. But we've learned over the past couple of years that you can't trust everything that we're presented with and we can't trust mm-hmm. everyone who we thought had our best interest in mind. Um, and we, we see this everywhere. You know, you just talked about drug and, and alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, if our state agencies all across the country were were effective in this, we wouldn't have a lot of these other um, private entities and then the nonprofits like the um, Teen Challenge, you mm-hmm. know, and other faith-based ones that do actually work, that yeah. learn that you need to um, have a year to, to kind of re- rework your thinking and your mindset, and mm-hmm. there's not an easy way off of a lot of these drugs that people are on now. Right. Um, and so it, you know, if you've ever had to explore any of those agencies and, 
state state ran facilities and you know psych institutes and you know just all sorts of different things because we are in a a healthcare crisis absolutely and mental health um mm-hmm. physical health obesity um you know it is uh we are in a in a you know um a rat race and people are, their health is suffering and stresses through the roof and heart attacks mm. on Monday are up 75%, all these different things. And when we leave our healthcare up to the, to the, to the government, um, yep. we, we end up with a, with a, something that is just not able to be done really well. And that's because it's up to the responsibility of the individual to say, Mm-hmm. Your health is in your hands. Yep. You know, unfortunately, you know, there's not a, an incredible program. Not even the the government, as much as they like to to throw money at problems, there's not mm-hmm. a program that's gonna that's gonna save your health, and that's yep. in your hands. So, Jordan, you know, we also have to look at protecting our children's health, right? And and their ability to access drugs and pharmaceuticals and things like that. Is there anything like that happening in the state house that, you know, is under review? Yeah, I mean, we have a, a, a bevy of, uh, like of of medical freedom bills and uh, bills trying to put medical decisions more closely in the hands of individuals and and the doctors they go to rather than government decisions. Sadly, most of those bills have gone nowhere in committee while a bill like this that we just discussed has been fast-tracked. And it, that doesn't make a lick of sense to me uh, unless we don't actually have a, a, a ma- majority in the House that want those things. They, they got, Most of them would claim that they do, you know, would run on, hey, Healthcare is your responsibility. We want to give the, you the responsibility and the freedom to do these things. But would they put it in practice? I, I mean, we've seen a, a, some strides in that. Like last year, we passed a, a repeal of something called the Certificate of Need Law. Uh, previous, uh, for the past several decades until we repealed it, uh, uh, hospitals, really any medical facility that wanted to spend more than like half a million dollars on their facility or wanted to have imaging or do surgeries or any of that stuff, not only would have to get uh, licensed by by the state, which is fairly normal, they would have to get permission from all of their would-be competitors in that area to open first. Uh, so that's one of the reasons, like in Berkeley County, where I live, we didn't have a hospital for several decades uh, in the county because mm-hmm. you know Roper wanted to open one, and they finally did uh, near near Nexon, uh, right. near Cane Bay. Mm-hmm. But they could only open it at 50 beds, and they wanted to open it at 100 because they knew all this growth was coming. Right. But they were stopped by their competing hospitals around them. So we, we did repeal that, which is good. But then we turn around and try to do this and centralize all these uh, all these decision-making um, to one person at one agency in the government. Uh, and it's, it doesn't make... Uh, it is not cons- ideologically consistent uh, to do that, right. from my perspective. Absolutely. And, and to your to what you were saying, you know, if we if we look to the Bible for as our guide, which mm-hmm. this should be our goal, 
uh, we see several instances where the idea of distributing uh, power and responsibility, even when the government is involved, is praised as a good idea, as a wise thing to do. It's distributing that, not centralizing it. If you go look at, um, I think it's Exodus 18. Yeah, Exodus 18. Moses had been like overwhelmed with uh, judicial cases. Like the whole nation of Israel, every dispute they had, they were bringing to Moses personally for him to, to rule on. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't do it. There wasn't enough hours in the day. With his father-in-law, inspired by God, specific, you know, it says this in Exodus, God gave him the wisdom to share with Moses to tell Moses, hey, appoint judges amongst the elders of the tribes, have them sit in judgment on these things, you know, qualified individuals, and let them make these calls. So you can do the things you need to do um, and not sit here on a rock all day deciding, uh, you know, whose sheep belongs to who. Right. Uh, so, I mean, that's the model there is to distribute that. The inverse of that is uh, when... And we talked about this on the show in the past, like when the people of Israel come to Samuel and say, we want a king. And he says, no, you don't. That's a really bad idea. And they insist upon it. And basically he lays out the, the consequences uh, for, for them getting what they want. It's going to be a lot of bad stuff. No good stuff. Like he doesn't say, uh, you know, by centralizing power in this one person, all these bad things are going to happen, but you know, you're going to get these good things too. It's nothing but bad things. Uh, that right. he he lays out, right. So speaking of judges, um, mm-hmm. last week was our Republican primary here, mm-hmm. or this past Saturday, right um, in South Carolina, and there were a couple questions um, after yep. that. That one question was, you know, the next, you know, who do you would you like to see as the Republican uh, candidate for president, mm-hmm. um, in which Donald Trump did win, yep. uh, sixty over- forty. 60-40, a little bit more mm-hmm. than 60-40 maybe. Something like um, that, yeah. And um, there were three questions, and one pertained to judges mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Can you speak yep. into that? Sure. So we've had an ongoing uh, discussion, or maybe lack of discussion, demand for discussion on judicial reform in South Carolina. And uh, currently we're the only state in the country that selects judges the way that we do, where uh, a, a small group of of 10 individuals, uh, the majority of those individuals are attorneys and the majority of those attorneys are law are lawmakers. They're, they're in the legislature. Uh, th- that small group basically uh, interviews these judicial candidates and they can let out up to three per position as qualified or, uh, for us to vote on in the House and, you know, uh, and join assembly. Well, here's the issue with that is uh, we don't, even those of us who are in the House, like in the legislature, don't know what happens in that committee. It's not recorded. It's not shared even with us. Like there are discussions, why certain candidates are approved and why some aren't. Uh, Basically, they just give us a list. Like here's up to three. Sometimes it's just one. Like probably for half the judicial races this year, only like one of them was found qualified. And we would have no idea who else even applied and why they weren't found qualified. We we're just handed a, a sheet, a, a, a tally sheet of here's who's, who's are your options. Uh, it does not seem to be an, a, an overly um, effective way to deliver justice. 
I mean, there's a, just story after story of corruption. Yeah. I mean, Special here's the reality. If, if put yourself in the shoes of one of these judges, it's not like, it's not like the U S Supreme court. It's not a lifetime appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a circuit court judge, it's a term. And so every, every so many years you have to go back in front of this same committee who found you qualified. And there's been very, there's been several instances where a qualified judge or a judge who's been found qualified in the past ruled in a way that one of these lawyer legislators didn't like, uh, or maybe their partner didn't like. Mm-hmm. And when they come back before the board, the joint, the, this review committee, all of a sudden they're not found qualified and they can't even be up, uh, to be voted back in. Like they're just gone. Right. right. And it, well, and it, some, it, and it, some have friends. And obviously Many. they'd like to see their friends or their siblings, you know, pointed as, as circuit judges. And we've seen that. I've got a, I've got a state representative in my own district um, mm-hmm. who's, who's been found to, you know, nominate friends, family members, things like that um, yep. into these positions. Um, and that's special interest and that, and that smells mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. It, it is not on the up and up uh, there for more than 20 years. Actually, I met the Senator, uh, who's in his, well into his eighties, who originally started filing bills to fix this system back when we were kids. Uh, he started filing them. The guy who replaced him, uh, kept filing the same bills. The guy who replaced that guy in the house, when he went to the Senate filed this, has been filing the same bills literally for decades. Not once has a single one of those judicial reform bills even got a committee hearing, much less got a vote on the floor. Uh, so it is a, something that the people overwhelmingly want. We want to, a, a change in the system, whether it's, it's something as um, something as total as a constitutional amendment to get rid of this JMSC committee that screens it, right, uh, and just have the governor appoint it like we do with federal judges, mm-hmm. um, or the, the, on the smallest end of things, uh, there's a bill to just that would just say. Hey, uh, get rid of the nepotism. So you can't appoint, uh, family members of legislators and you have to report out every, every, uh, every judicial candidate that's found qualified, not just three. Like if there's 10 people that applied, eight of them are qualified, then all eight get reported out and we'll, we'll vote on it. Even if it means multiple rounds of voting, right. uh, to get down to it. Basically, we want we need more transparency in that system. Absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Well, thank you for speaking into that. And I know there's certainly a lot of questions about that, and mm-hmm. several questions that were on there. Um, so, Jordan, thank you for sharing this. Um, this is definitely something that folks need to pay attention to. Um, this yep. is the future of uh, policy, healthcare policy that affects every single citizen of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to be paying attention to it, what's to come in the next, you know, few weeks and go ahead. And, and, and one last thought, here's the, kind of the summation of going to circle back to the, the healthcare, uh, the 4927 and the, the, the Senate one, you know, we have, uh, super majorities in both the house and the Senate. We have a Republican governor. Almost all of us ran on the idea of being conservative and, and governing in a conservative way of, of shrinking government. Right. This is a, the best opportunity we've had in decades. Like we split this DHEC thing, the best opportunity we've had maybe ever 
to shrink the size of government, but instead it's been proposed that we grow the size of government. Um, and that, I mean, that's kind of emblematic of the whole problem we have in South Carolina is people running one way and not governing that way. Wow. Uh, and I think people are starting to wake up for to that. But my hope is, hey, to the folks listening to us, remember this. Um, the, you know, the next time you're asked to to vote or support for these folks, ask them when they had the opportunity to shrink the power of government, to shrink the size of government. Did they do that, or did they grow the size of government um, regarding this issue? Wow. Thank you. Um, so, Jordan, again, I always reference back to the South Carolina Senate app or the South Carolina Legislation app, where you can figure out what's going on in the state house. Look at review some of these bills, things like that. Do some investigating for yourself. Um, always, don't just take our word for it. You know, get involved yeah. and look it up, and then hold your state representatives accountable for how they're using their power and authority that we've given them as elected officials. Thank you guys for tuning in to Current Situation. Uh, we look forward to sharing more with you next week on what's going here, going on here in South Carolina. Have a great week.